Hey, hey, everybody. If you're listening to this, you are listening to the first free hour of this episode of The Shift with Doug McKinty. If you like what you're hearing, please consider subscribing to the show in order to access the full feature-length versions of the podcast, as well as have access to the members' forum, where we discuss potential topics and interviews and dive deep into the overall concept of The Shift. For only six bucks a month, not only do you get the full-length episodes, but also an opportunity to co-create with me, your host, Doug McKinty, the future of the show. Go to www.theshiftnow.com or patreon.com backslash the shift and sign up today in order to help make the shift possible. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Good morning, noon, or night, whenever and wherever you are listening, you are listening to The Shift. I'm your host, and my name is Doug McKinty. This episode was recorded on January 26th, 2022. I'm happy to announce my guest on the program today is documentary producer Marcy Cravat. Her new film, Terrain, features Dr. Andrew Kaufman, whose public advocacy for the terrain theory of disease has caused quite a controversy within the alternative media space. While most presume that science long ago proved the existence of tiny microbes which invade the body and cause disease, there's actually a plethora of scientific evidence that argues this is not the case. This new documentary makes an argument, utilizing interviews from experts across the healthcare spectrum, that the physical body's environment is the root cause of disease and symptoms are caused by a natural detoxification process. This two-part cinematic journey begins with a description of the terrain theory and a thorough analysis of the current scientific evidence that posits disease infection and spread through a transmissible virus. The film goes on to show that surprisingly few, if any, actual peer-reviewed documents convincingly support the theory, while multiple sources are produced indicating that not only has the viral contagion theory never been adequately proven, but no study has ever produced the isolation of a virus in its purest form. Even the most skeptical of viewers will come away from this film questioning a germ theory narrative that many of us assumed was true, but never thought to examine too closely. Clearly, if the thesis of this movie is true, many aspects of the modern healthcare apparatus need to be revisited. Altering this fundamental theory of disease spread means treatment protocols must shift from killing viruses to bolstering the immune system. Most controversial of all, the terrain theory brings into question the use of vaccines and posits they may have no ability to control contagion whatsoever. During the time of COVID, this movie also explores the efficacy of mandates, lockdowns, mask use, and even PCR tests as appropriate interventions against the spread of the disease. Terrain ends on a positive note, posing a frequency-based explanation for contagion while exploring the need for clean alkaline water sources as the real fundamental solution to the issues of ill health. Find out more about the movie by going to www.terrainthefilm.com. As always, you can find out more about The Shift, find hours of free content, and subscribe for feature-length episodes of the podcast by going to www.theshiftnow.com. You can also find my writings on a variety of subjects by searching for the Populist Papers blog on Substack. Please like and share this episode across your social media networks as we rely on listeners like you to distribute this alternative information. Without further ado, I'd like to thank producer Marcy Cravat for participating in this interview, and thank you for helping to make the shift.
Hey, everybody, and welcome to this 106th episode of The Shift. I'm your host, Doug McKenty. Happy to be joined today by movie producer Marcelina Cravat. Uh, she was, I think, number 40. It's been a little while since we've talked, and we also worked together back in the day on the roundtable discussions that you can find under the free content tab at theshiftnow.com. Uh, we did a couple of those together. Actually, I think we talked with uh, Dr. Andrew Kaufman on one of those, so... Um, we'll talk a little bit about that today, but Marcy has been involved in the production of the new movie Terrain that features Dr. Andrew Kaufman and really goes into detail about this whole issue that we've all been talking about for, for a couple of years now about uh, terrain theory versus germ theory and how germ theory has been used, of course, as the foundation of this whole COVID thing. Uh, but so many doctors, and it seems more and more, are starting to realize that by questioning this, um, you know, there's just a, there's just a whole lot of other uh, another paradigm out there based on terrain theory that's really fascinating, interesting, and actually, in my opinion, it's all uh, about the results because I think the terrain theorists really actually do a, a much better job of helping people, healing people, uh, coming from this angle, whether or not you believe in one theory or the other. So happy to have Marcy on the show. Uh, do you want to just give people uh, a little introduction about yourself and uh, how you got involved with uh, producing terrain? Uh, well, thanks, Doug, for having me on. <clears throat> um, it's always good to talk with you. Yeah. Um, let's see, I got involved uh, sort of um, inadvertently. I was working on other ideas for a film and interviewing very interesting people, um, you know, like Clifford Carnicom and um, uh, Anthony Samsel and um, some others. And I wasn't really coming up with the uh, traction for whatever that film was going to be. And mm -hmm. I, I still could, but you know, it, it just wasn't catching on exactly. I wasn't getting clarification on exactly what I wanted that to be. And that was right around the time that the COVID psyop started. And so I had seen a video that Andy Kaufman had done on, um, on YouTube and I called him up out of the clear blue sky and he answered his phone out of the clear blue sky. And uh, we got to talking and in short order, we decided that maybe we should work together on a documentary. So this was actually a, a kind of a life changing event for me because it sort of meant jumping into uh, kind of almost like some sort of schooling, um, you know, about, science and medicine. I, you know, I don't come from a science background at all. And Andy always said that I was actually fortunate to be learning correctly instead of having to unlearn right. what I could have learned had I been, say, a medical student, which would have never happened. But, you know, I'm just <laughs> saying. Um, and so we, we started to talk and get to know each other. And I interviewed him in Miami uh, when it was still possible to get around a little bit easier. And um, we just kind of clicked, you know, um, I've just grown to um, have such respect for what he does and for his, oh, his just courage and curiosity and, and brilliant mind. And it's not only him, you know, it's the others as well. I mean, Bear Lando is, you know, mm -hmm. just somebody that I really love and respect. And there, there are a lot of people that are in the film like that. And so Andy, um, you know, he knows a lot of these people and we just started making connections and doing interviews. And it was really more or less like collecting a lot of patches for a big quilt. And, um, 
I just kept interviewing and interviewing and all the way along, you know, I had 5 million questions. I mean, Andy had to be super patient with me because I, like everybody else, had to kind of at least unlearn some basic assumptions that I never had even thought about before. Right. I never thought about germ theory. I just, I, germs are there, you know? And so I, I, I didn't have a strong opinion. I didn't even know that there was an opinion to be had. Um, but as I started to see the way that the COVID PSYOP was rolling out, I could smell a rat, you know, the size of New York city. I mean, I, you know, there was no doubt to me that it was nefarious and that we were being manipulated. I mean, if you look at the whole, um, frequency feeling of this COVID thing, all you have to do is spend one minute going inside yourself to know that it's wrong. It doesn't feel right. There's nothing about it that seems to be really motivated by a concern for health. I mean, with all of the people losing jobs and losing kids and losing lives and, and being injured and, um, you know, depressed and suicides and everything, how possibly could there be any health motivation behind something that would put people through so much distress and torture, which is what's been going on for the last couple of years. And people are starting to really fatigue or they're just becoming accustomed to the new normal. And so you've got a very polarized, divided society, globally speaking. And it's getting to be at a point now where we don't have a lot of wiggle room anymore to spend time kind of learning things at our own pace. It's almost like, no, you need to jump in and learn to swim like right now. And um, so I really understood that at the, at the very foundation of this whole entire scamdemic or feardemic, whatever you want to call it, was the belief in something that is absolutely fictional. And when you can control the population to continue believing in something that's fiction, they're yours. You know, you you're you've got a setup for just one the unrolling one lie after another. And so it's not until people say, "This is why I called part one of the film Stork Flu," because I make an analogy in there about storks delivering babies. And if you believe that storks deliver babies then your conversations are going to be all around things having to do with storks and their safety and all of that, because you're so distracted. And then you get pulled into all of these different conversations and you do have to look out for things for partial truths and controlled opposition and all of these types of things, because now you're, you're suddenly being pulled in all of these directions and you're easily distracted. So you have to keep coming back to your discernment skills and seeking information and answers in ways that make sense to you. And when you get to that point where you realize you don't need to talk anymore about the storks and their diaper shortages and the things that are affecting stork populations, because it's simply fiction to start with. Now you have the freedom to move into, well, what is health? What really does make us tick? And in the case of my journey, I really came to understand that we're all about frequencies, resonant frequencies, and that the whole future of health going forward is going to inevitably be about that. And Mm -hmm. people are going to start taking hopefully more responsibility for what they know and don't know, because we don't have excuses anymore. Um, there, there's no time anymore for excuses.
So I don't know. That's a long-winded answer to your question, but no, it's great. It's great, and I love um, I love actually that you conclude the film with this concept of of the body operating on this frequency level because that's what so many people don't understand. I mean, even we're told that you know it's 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 either a germ or terrain. And actually, the terrain theorists are starting to understand that there's this other option of how uh, how um, disease can spread, which is through this frequency thing. And that's been one of the most fascinating things for me. I actually um, I did an interview. It's been a, over a, uh, probably a year and a half now with Judy Mikovits and Stephanie Seneff, where we started to get into this idea. And it was like the light bulb clicked in my head that was like, huh, the idea that DNA is actually a, a transmitter and that diseases and different protein sequences even can be then transmitted from person to person or around, around the globe um, based on these frequencies. And I love it because it coincides so much with like ideas from Tai Chi, like Chi or Prana or, uh, you know, the ether, which were more prominent uh, over a hundred years ago here, even in the West, people were working on these theories. I don't think a lot of people understand, um, you know, just exactly how plausible this is. It's pretty, it sounds crazy to so many because we've been fed this germ theory our, our whole lives, but it's actually, uh, you know, something that serious people are looking into and it's making more and more sense all the time. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think if, if we just can conceive of the fact that everything has frequency, um, and so that means that it's, there's an emission, there's, it's emitting some sort of, I guess it's an electrical vector or pulse or something, you know, Bear Lando's mm -hmm. the expert on this. Yeah can explain it way better than I can. <clears throat> he talks about it as waveform physics and such. Um, but just conceptually thinking about every time you think something or feel something or do something or intend something, you are emitting a frequency that is going to seek resonance with a matching frequency. Then as an individual, you start to recognize, I have a lot of responsibility about what I'm thinking and intending and doing and right. writing and singing and all of the things that I put out there are actually going to seek resonance with something that matches what I've just put out. So I better be a little more careful about what I put out because when you find resonances building up and you've got like, you know, it, it, it exponentially increases. Now you've got global consciousness, you know, uh, being affected. And so I, I always hear that there's a number, you know, I've heard 11% and I, I don't really know what the truth is, but at some point there's a, a shift in mm -hmm. global consciousness because enough people are vibrating at a frequency that is really gaining strength and it makes it less possible for those other lower frequencies to maintain their, their vibration. So I, as a personal, like, you know, when I mentioned this has been sort of a personal journey, I think one of the things for me that I've recognized is that I want to spiritually evolve. I want to be, you know, taking responsibility for what I think and do and feel because I want to resonate with people that are doing the same thing. I do not want to resonate in this fear of some fictional thing out there to get me. It's just, it, the whole thing feels bad, feels wrong, feels manipulative. And actually it feels evil. Um, I would go so far as to say that. 
and uh, I don't I don't consent to that and choose that as my way of expanding my consciousness. I don't want to waste my time, uh, you know, in these sort of uh, pitfalls, eddies, you know, of of you know dead ends because I'm I'm licking my wounds you know i mean not that i don't do that we we don't we all do it but i'm right. really working hard to get away from that and more into well what is it that i want to put out there which is a form of creation really and when you start creating the world you want you start finding people that like those ideas and want to do that too yeah and then next thing you know something's actually manifesting and I would guess, you know, at higher levels of dimensional, multidimensionality, probably thoughts become reality immediately. It's just in this sort of, you know, density that we're in, you know, it takes a little time is what I'm feeling and thinking. Yeah. I don't know. It's kind of where I'm at. And it's been sort of the the, the gift of the journey. You know, because after you go through this whole thing, <clears throat> basically debunking germ theory, then you realize even the way you're debunking it is kind of archaic because, you know, you go about doing it in a way that fits within the current scientific paradigm. But yeah, if, exactly. Like, yeah. But if like Steph, what Stefan Lanka says is that that cells and and, uh, and um you know, things at a cellular level are dynamic and constantly changing. So just because you did a study where you captured some cell at some stage of its, you know, existence doesn't mean that represents all of the rest of the cells in that situation. And he told me a story that he was working on, uh, I think he was working on the human genome, uh, something to do with that. And they had to go in on the weekends because just a door shutting from, they were on like the 13th floor of a tall building and just a door shutting from way down on one of the ground floors, their whole experiment would change. Just a door shutting. Right. So you think about a door shutting creates a frequency from the sound. And that just alone is enough to get those cells to behave differently. And he was saying, to me, or he didn't, it was in an interview, he was explaining how they're so dynamic that you could never make any real assessment about anything because they're changing all the time, which is also what Dr. Emoto's work shows with the water um, consciousness, which Veda Austin gets into in our film too. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you can actually change the way water behaves and, and how it structures just by the way you think about it just by the way you think about it. So, I mean, imagine the power that we have as individuals to create a better place, or, you know, we have to learn how to protect ourselves from the creations that we're not interested in because that works two ways. Yeah. I think it's so interesting that you, because clearly we are shifting our paradigm here just like shifting from from germ theory to terrain theory or incorporating this frequency idea and i and i want to mention the metaphor i like to use is the cell phone because everybody uses a cell phone and they communicate wirelessly and so it's like why doesn't our body why can't why is it so impossible to believe that our bodies would use the same technology you know <laughs> like oh you know actually when you think about it sure it probably does right um but as you change your paradigm into thinking about these things, it actually kind of does change the um, 
the context within which you can you want to even explain things or or like creating the art form i think it's interesting if you want to dive in maybe a little bit deeper into the like like how uh you know as you started the project you have this one way of viewing how you're going to present it you know in terms of of the art form of making a documentary and as your paradigm kind of starts to change it's almost like you know what other ways what other angles would you incorporate into that artistic process right the um the aesthetics of making the documentary or arguing your point or well, the aesthetics of making this documentary were a little bit challenging because most of the content was scientific and I didn't have access to scientific labs or inside hospitals or anything like that. And it was mm -hmm. also during the whole lockdown thing. So I had very little access to filming anything. So unlike my other films, I really wasn't on location shooting all the time, which was challenging for me as an artist because I look at things artistically and I was right. really having to like, struggle to figure out how am I going to explain this to people where it's going to capture their interest and be interesting to look at and at the same time really deliver in good solid content and I mostly just followed the guidance that I got along the way mostly from the questions I asked and the questions that were answered mostly by Andy and Bear and you know some others but you know predominantly those two um, and that sort of guided as much creativity as I could put into the film, you know, it's, it's, it's not exactly the most creative topic. I mean, you know, when I did right. Angel as Bull, you know, I've got these underwater statues and these artists casting live models and, you know, just so much interesting stuff to look at and so many easy metaphors to make. Um, with this, it was more like, wait, wait, what? You know, another question. Wait, right. what a minute. Wait, and they, you know, it's constantly just getting me up to speed so that I could deliver the information to the public in a way they could understand. And, and the, the good news about that is I was just like the general public. So, you know, I had no advanced understanding of any of these types of subjects. So, I was asking the same questions everybody else asks. And I was struggling with the answers the same way a lot of people do. So my creative process became a little bit challenged in this film. I also didn't have like, you know, a musician like I did for Dirt Rich, where I had, you know, wonderful musician that mm -hmm. through like a through character through the, I didn't have anything like that. But what I did have was just really fascinating content. And I sort of, figured at the beginning when I recognized that I wasn't going to be able to make films the way I'm used to making films. Um, I recognized that the film just needed to make itself. It was about content and I was going to just have to organize that to the best of my ability so that people would actually be able to sit still and watch it. And what I wanted people to come away with is, look, we spent almost two hours which represents two years for me, um, debunking this myth, this fiction that all of this pandemonium going on in the world is based on. Now, once you recognize that, are you ready now to move on to something better? Because there really is a lot of stuff out there that's way better than sitting around and talking about this, but you don't get to skip over this step of understanding and acknowledging that we've been bamboozled. Right. We've been fooled for a long, long time. And the longer we choose to participate in that narrative, the more we're stuck in a prison. 
And so, you know, I finally got to a point where I realized, is anything about the way that I'm behaving around this topic causing anybody else to suffer? Because if it is, I don't want to do that. And I was recognizing that every time I put a mask on, which is very infrequently, but I do fly and um, I have to wear one on a plane and I've gotten myself in some trouble over that. Um, I, you know, I really resist putting it on and sometimes I'm forced and then I end up in these fights and things, which is not good, you know, but I, I feel on a deep level that every time I have to participate in the narrative, I'm causing the suffering of somebody else because I'm participating in a lie. And that lie is putting a jab in a five-year-old's arm or it's causing somebody to lose their job, or it's, it's causing a person to die or somebody to die alone because they weren't allowed to have family in there with them. I mean, I don't want to participate in that. And um, so I, I think I got off your topic, your question. I'm sorry. You were asking about the artistic aestheticness and somehow I got off onto that, but it's no, perfect. Yeah. I'm just trying to make the point that every time we choose to behave a certain way, we have to consider whether or not that's harming somebody because a lot of people take this position. Well, it's your choice. You can get vaccinated and go into a restaurant. You can get jabbed and send your kids to school. You could jab, have your kids jabbed and send them to school. They think that they're making a fair choice and it's not an even playing field. We that do not choose to participate in the narrative are not asking these people or forcing these people to do something that they disagree with. They, though, are asking through their participation for us to do so. And they make the choice because they want to get go along to get along. They want to be able to go to restaurants. They don't want to have to be embarrassed if their colleagues go to a restaurant and they're not allowed in because they don't have a poison club card. You know, they don't want to, they don't want to be in that situation. So they, they give in and they do it. And then they spin the argument and say, you have a choice, you know, you have a choice and you're choosing to live a difficult life. And I just find this argument like it's not it's not a level it's not a fair argument it's not right. a level playing field at all. Yeah, I kind of I call those red flags when you're having conversations with people, and uh, you know it's the the passive aggressive behavior or a little bit of there's coercion on their end. Um, when on your end, when you're advocating for freedom and freedom of choice, like it's not that's not selfish, and that's really not going to cause suffering. That's just the thing about this whole germ theory. And the materialism in general, and I kind of want to get, I still want to get into the, like just the difference, because I think the germ theory is, is um, just completely based on that everything is materialistic and discounts the energetic or holistic uh, vision of reality where your consciousness really does have a, a huge effect on the material world and other unseen energies all around us all the time, including bad energies, 5G and the rest of it. I'm going to um, write that down when you said consciousness has great effect. That's a good. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I agree with you, Doug. I, I think that it's a much more truthful, honest and evolved way of thinking to understand because it puts us in a much more of a heart place. We yeah. tend to feel more and judge 
more or discern more on what we feel rather than react to something that's being imposed upon us. And if people fool themselves and thinking, you know, well, I'm just doing the right thing to protect everybody, then their willful ignorance in, you know, not choosing to really seek an understanding puts them into a headspace rather than a heart space where they're they're analyzing and sort of defending their position based on an inability to truthfully face what's really happening because it would upset their world and turn their world upside down. Right. And that harms everybody else's freedoms. And so I you know, I frankly wouldn't want to be building that kind of karma. You know, it's like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be creating karma through my choices. It's, it's just, um, it's not, not, uh, um, fair to everybody else. And so if I go into more of a heart space and I, and I have compassion for what people are going through, I'm not going to be so quick to just throw on a mask or, I mean, I'm not saying there aren't times where we have to do these things because sometimes you can't even function if you don't do these things. But, you know, I really choose carefully on that because I just don't feel that I want to be contributing in any way to somebody else's suffering. Yeah. I mean, I think that's another red flag when, you know, one side of the conversation wants to force the other side of the conversation to do what they say. And the, you know, and the other people are saying, hey, we should all be free to choose what we feel is right for us. You know, which side are you going to be on, no matter what the argument is, right? Yeah. It could be about vaccines. It could be about anything. It could be about anything. Yeah. You, you know, just, about parenting, about about yeah. any personal choice, about your finances, how, what kind of money you yeah. want to use, how you're going to spend your money. Yeah. Right. They'll argue, well, we're in a we're in a serious situation where we're globally facing this horrible thing. Well, this is the reason why I'm so intent on debunking this ridiculous fiction about germs, because if you believe that, then you're going to talk yourself into, well, just sometimes there are extenuating circumstances and situations that demand we all join together and do the right thing. You'll you'll fall for that. Yeah. Um, And that's not that's not, there's no truth in that. And, you know, honestly, I don't even really think the people that use that as an excuse, even believe it because they, their, their, um, their behavior contradicts what they're saying. You know, they'll take their masks off and eat and this and that, and they'll, you know, make, choices about who they'll stand close to and not. And you know, they're not really afraid of something out there. Most people, I mean, some people are, some people really are the ones driving in their cars with masks on, you know, they're really afraid, but the average person that's doing this is, is more or less just going along to get along. They want yeah. to be able to go out and do their, live their life. So they're just keep giving into it and it means another kid gets another vax and every time that happens i what are we um are these kids going to grow up infertile is there going to be another generation um i don't know what's going to happen to these kids nobody knows um yeah the science hasn't even been done yet so how can we even have a argument about science when yeah and not we, to we, mention nobody what knows it to our spiritual psyche because it i i kind of feel like I'm really noticing a change in people. They're Mm -hmm. getting less connected to who they are. They're not as nice. They don't have emotions as much. 
I, you know, I'm not making this up. I'm witnessing this firsthand. I'm noticing people are becoming more detached and functional and, you know, less interested that there might be some spiritual connection to anything. Right. They sort of talk themselves out of that kind of way of thinking and they don't have any, you know, they don't show a whole lot of motivation to remember who they are or think about what their purpose in life might be or what are the lessons that they're here to to learn or you know they just don't have those conversations are just that's what you think kind of thing and when you start becoming kind of cooled off like that to your spirituality your decisions become colder your decisions become less they're much more superficial. Right. And they're really much more in service to whatever works for you as an individual. You know, this is good for me, so I'll do it. You know, and then you you move further and further away from the sort of we're all connected, we're all one concept. Uh, that doesn't feel good to me. Yeah, I hear you. Before we get uh, too deep into the theoretical conversation, just for those who uh, maybe are on the fence, I want to start, I want to talk a little bit about the meat and potatoes of part one in terms of the science. You want to just talk about going through the process of showing um, how viruses have never really been isolated. I mean, I think that's one of the best aspects of the film is that you really cover that in depth and you kind of close the door on this in terms of like, you know, they've never actually done the work, the scientific work that it takes to understand that what they're looking at under the microscope, is that a virus? Is that just dead culture cells from the culture that they've done? What, you know, what is it? And what is the proof that, no, we've isolated this SARS-CoV-2 virus, and now we've made a vaccine for it, and this is how it works. So you want to just kind of get into talking to Dr. Kaufman and Dr. Cowan and, and some of the others and, and uh, exactly the, the mountain of evidence that, that you were able to throw into the film that shows that actually there's no scientific evidence that these things really do exist at all. Certainly that they're the cause of, of any disease. Yeah. There's just no, there. there. Um, yeah. I, I think the, the, the big uh, um, light bulb moment for me was the field of virology. Um, Virologists are not held to the same standards of current science, scientific, uh, you know, yeah. method. That was fascinating and, to find out, actually. I didn't know that. Yeah. And they themselves don't question it. And they themselves don't even think to question it because it's just just standard belief system. Right. I mean, when you go buy a bag of flour at the store to make cookies do you question that there's flour in the bag? I mean, if you were a scientist, you should question that. Maybe not if you're just a person going to the store to make cookies. But if you're a scientist and you're receiving a frozen cult tissue culture uh, that you're going to conduct an experiment in, wouldn't you want to know and understand what that is? And wouldn't it just be standard science 101 to do a control experiment right. to see if that tissue culture was going to have any effect on your, uh, your, in, in your experiment. They don't do that. They don't do any, uh, control experience experiments. So the, the, the sort of nuts and bolts of it is that 
viruses are just cellular debris. Uh, you know, they're just the breakdown of a cell. And there are lots of different ways of understanding that. We get into it with concept of pleomorphism, which shows that cells go through different stages, depending on what the body needs at the time. The body's got its own intelligence and it will call out what it needs. So say you need bacteria to clean up something that you've been exposed to, a toxin, mm -hmm. then the bacteria will show up when they see the bacteria under the microscope, then they blame the bacteria on the thing that caused the illness. But in fact, they've just been recruited. That's all. They're like the cleanup crew. So the, the when, flies, the fly, the flies didn't kill the animal. They're just, you know, yeah, cleaning exactly, it up. Right. Yeah. So, you know, people have had, you know, when they didn't have an electron microscope, they used to think that things were so that were too small to see must be causing the illness. It must be that. And so they called that a virus. And at, back when they called it that, viruses meant poison. And it was really the derivative of that word comes from snake poison, I believe. Anyway, um, when electron microscopes came on the scene, they could see something, but what they saw was literally a cast of something that had been caught in a very finite moment of its breakdown process. And you don't actually see that tissue. You just see the cast of the tissue because electron microscopes, they completely destroy whatever tissue you're going to look at. They right. go through a very destructive process that just murders whatever tissue you're looking at, at a specific moment in time. And I remember I told you before, tissues in, are made of cells and cells change all of the time. They're very dynamic and they change from what we think and feel and everything. So scientists believe, oh, we've caught this moment that is going to describe for us, the, give us an, an explanation for everything that's going on about this. And really what they've done is they've frozen a moment in time, they killed the tissue they're looking at, and they see the cast of it. And they call that a, quote, virus. What they've never done and been able to do is to take anything, because there's nothing there, and isolate it. Now, they say they did because they changed the word isolation. Mm -hmm. So the virus isolation experiment does not mean isolation by the standard definition of the word isolate, which means to separate from everything else. They instead, uh, they make a mess of it in two big steps. One is they don't isolate something from a li living organism that's sick, like a sick person. They don't take some sample out of a sick person and then isolate out the thing that they are calling a virus, which they've never seen before. So I don't know how they'd even know how to do that, but they don't even try. They take the whole messy soup of whatever they got out of the person that could have their drugs in it and hormones and fungi and other bacteria and whatever's in that person's sample. That right there is not an isolated sample. And they throw it into a Petri dish it's actually a flask, not a Petri dish, but people know the word Petri dish. Mm. They throw it into the Petri dish that's already been frozen and made for them. And what's in it? Antibiotics, which kill, kill. Uh, bovine fetal calf serum to keep the thing alive enough to be able to see if when they put the sample in, anything happens. And stains, heavy metal stains, which are extremely toxic. And then they throw that unisolated soup into that Petri dish. Now you've got two big problems. You know, your presumption in the first place is wrong because there's no virus that you're even. And then you throw that in there. And when they see the cells breaking down from 
no matter what they throw in there, the cells break down because the antibiotics are killing it. The stains are killing it. Right. Everything's killing it. And then they say it must be a virus. It, it just must be. That's not science. That's not science at all. You know, you don't just say it's, it must be, and then you shut a whole world down over that. Right. It, it could be. Yeah. We could be attacked by aliens tomorrow. We don't shut the whole world down because of it. You know, it's just, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And then they say, oh, well, virologists are so smart. They certainly would know, but they don't question it. Just like yeah. doctors don't question anything. Doctors don't question giving you antibiotics or chemotherapy. They don't question any of that. They just do it. And then we don't sit there and say, I mean, if you look at the statistics around how many people die from medical procedures and medical uh, pharmaceuticals every year, I don't know what the numbers are, but they're huge. It's yeah. one of the things people die of. Nobody's, these doctors are not looking at that. They're just ignoring that. It's the same thing with the virologists ignoring their testing procedure. They just don't look at it. And then everybody says, how could they do that? The same way they kill everybody with chemotherapy. Right. Same way they, they kill everybody with pharmaceuticals. Just look at the numbers. Well, you know, you, or how Monsanto kills people with their pesticides. Right. I mean, how many people are sick from what's gone into their bodies from pesticides or any of the other toxins we're exposed to? You got to stop and say, well, what are those things and what do they do to the body and who's responsible and how come you didn't ask any questions? And then suddenly it doesn't become such, it doesn't seem like such a mystery that doctors would quote, go along with this because the way the public views this, one of the big, what I call snag questions, how could they all possibly go along with it? I don't really see it so much as going along in the sense that they're pretending that they don't know something they know, although I think there are plenty of those too. But I think it's mostly they're just in trying to think a certain way and not ask questions. And just like they hand out prescriptions for chemotherapy or, or antibiotics, they don't think about that. They don't question it. They don't go into a lab and look at stuff. They don't do studies and, and, you know, Andy points out that they don't even know how to read studies. They don't read studies. They read publications that are put out to simplify their lives. And they're basically bullet pointed, pointed type information where they just, you know, it's like bumper sticker science where right. they're, you know, they're paying attention to sort of the overall message and they don't even know how to go in and read a paper because if you go in and even I can go in now to these papers, because there are so many papers that say that they've isolated a virus. All you have to do is look for the words Vero cells, monkey kidney cells, uh, tissue culture. If you see those words in the methods section of these scientific published papers that are in medical journals, that means they did the virologist isolation experiment, the one I told you about with the soup that goes into the Petri dish. Right. And, and nothing but a big fat mess. Well, well you mentioned that uh, because you mentioned in the film how Dr. Stephen Lanka actually just did the culture without adding the, the quote unquote uh, virus or the disease tissue to the culture. Uh, and he ended up getting the same results. If you do the control experiment and just process the culture without the virus, and you look at it under a microscope, it looks like there's a bunch of viruses running around in there. Yeah, because it's going to start dying. It's, it's a poisonous culture. And yeah. 
you know, that that uh, control experiment that he did should have been the end of the whole pandemic. It should have right. been front page news everywhere. And the whole thing should have been put to bed. But they didn't report on that. They make him out. If you go look at what the fact checkers say, they make him look like he's Looney Tunes. He's not Looney Tunes. He's brilliant. You know, he he's he recognizes that everybody's just being fooled. And so he just went ahead and, and, and courageously conducted the experiment that hadn't been done since Enders did it in the 1950s, which was the first time and the only time. And unless it happened in other labs and never got reported. I mean, I suppose that's possible, but the, the ones that the public knows about is either Ender's experiment or Stefan Locke's experiment. The public doesn't really know about either, to be quite frank, because they, they didn't publish, they kept it very quiet with Ender's because right. what he did do uh, poised, uh, you know, paved the way for the vaccine industry. That was they the polio want... vaccine, just to let people know, right? That was, he was working yeah, on the polio. He, yeah, and, and he figured that they wouldn't have to use these certain, you know, it gets kind of confusing, and Andy would be a much better person, or Tom Cowan, to talk to about this, but he figured out a, a quick and easy way to make the polio vaccine where you wouldn't have to have the actual tissue from a sick person with polio by using these tissue cultures, and inadvertently, he found out they die anyway. But that was good because it, it paved the way for the, the vaccine industry. And they didn't want people to really know that that was a sort of control experiment, be it inadvertent or not. I don't know whether that was something he stumbled upon or whether it was something that he planned to find the answer to. But whatever it was, he was kept quiet. Well, then probably with the Nobel Prize was the reason you can pretty much shut anybody up if you start giving them status and money and things like that. That's yeah. what I guess. Yeah. And so they could go forward with their whole vaccine um, industry, which has just gone marched forward ever since then. And, and, and it wasn't until Stefan Lanka came along and said, look, let's take a look at these tissue cultures and see how toxic they are. And it was just plain as plain can be that the tissue culture was killing anything, anything. You don't even have to put a sample in there. You know, you get the same results. So that should have been world news. It should have been world news, but they put the fact checkers on it. And then the fact checkers start debunking him and start throwing out the virus isolation experiments and all the proof they have with all the medical journals everywhere that just say that same tissue culture, uh, Vero cell, if you mm -hmm. just look at the papers, you'll see those words in the method section, not in the titles. They lie in the titles. You got to go to the method section. And uh, if you see those words, you can just pitch that paper because it's just tissue culture. It's that same messy experiment that's not scientific at all. So why isn't this front page news? You know, it's the same reason they don't report on protests going on all over the world. That um, Americans don't have much of an idea about that. Right. They don't really know that that's even happening because the media is all controlled. I mean, there's so many clues that this whole thing is just a big, fat setup. You know, it's like it really isn't rocket science. I mean, yeah. Right. I wish more people would really stop to think about how how profitable germ theory is too, because uh, it seems like once they started to figure out, I mean, you know, first of all, if you're thinking like a, a big pharma corporate CEO and all you're interested in is, is massive profits, 
then the first thing you got to be thinking is, man, you know, I can only sell products to sick people, right? And how can I suddenly start making products that uh, I can sell to healthy people, like these <laughs> vaccines, right? And then all of a sudden, hmm, I mean, look at how much money I think, you know, between Moderna and Pfizer, they made like $55 billion off these vaccines last year. They're literally trying to vaccinate every single human being in the world. I mean, how... You know, and you can't have a product that you can pitch to to everybody unless you have a germ theory to back this up. And then this whole kind of concept that the oh, the vaccine's gonna, you know, set your body up so that you don't get sick from the contagiousness of this germ that's floating around. And and I, I just wish more people would kind of like be able to to just kind of think for a second that maybe I should be a little bit wary about this whole story that we're being sold because it's such a huge moneymaker for these guys. It's a huge moneymaker, but also it's a huge control mechanism. I yeah. mean, you just look at the rituals that are attached to all this, like the mask wearing. I mean, it's mostly a, a humiliating experience to put on a mask. You know, it's it's really about shut up, don't hear, don't speak, um, don't read lips, don't connect, don't make human connection. It puts you in a, in a place of basically servitude and fear. And people think it's just standard to protect themselves. You know, they don't even think past that. But if you think about it, what it means ritualistically, uh, why would you ever want to be participating in something like that? So then it starts to make me think it's really more of, instead of just about, I mean, it definitely is about money, but what's the next step after that? It's a about control. If we mm -hmm. can get these people to do this, then we can move on to the next thing we want to control them about. So what's in these quote vaccines, a lot of nanoparticulate matter that can go into our body and then enable them to send carrier waves back and forth between our bodies for some sort of communication. Well, what's the point of that? What, what are they trying to communicate about? Or what are they trying to retrieve from us? Back and forth communications. Are we like being turned into AI? I right. would say so. I would say so. And then you, you, you compound that with getting the, getting it from the air we breathe, the, the nanoparticulate matter we get from the air we breathe, which I'm speaking about the incessant chemtrail program, weather modification program that is so out of control. People are getting so sick from it and nobody's connecting the dots. And it's like, Okay, well, so you're breathing it in, you're eating it in your food system and the GMO foods, what do you think that is? You know, and then you've got fluoride in the water that's calcifying the pineal gland. So you don't think you don't produce the proper melatonin to get to sleep at night. You don't go into your REM sleep so that you're doing your dream work at night because you don't get, you know, all kinds of things are being, and, and families are being divided. They're, you know, people are breaking up and kids are, you know, divided over the parent that, you know, will or won't agree with their yeah. position and people are distancing and it just, it's like, it, it really feels a lot to me, like a lot more than money. It feels like, yeah, there is a lot of money. You're right. Definitely. Right. But once you get enough money, then what do you want control? And then how are you going to do that? You're going to, are you maybe going to kill off part of the population? So you don't have as many people that you have to feed. And then the ones that are left, turn them into some kind of a AI machine that will serve you. Is that the point? I mean, you know, you can get into debates over this, but there's certainly the right questions to ask because 
why do they want to put nanoparticulate into your body graphene and mm-hmm. and um I mean, it even says on one of the websites, I think it's a CDC website. So I mean, they, they will admit that it's a communication uh, mechanism. So why do you want to communicate with the inside of my body? Yeah. Do you want to put something into me so you can track me all the time? Do you want to re- put out some kind of carrier waves through maybe the 5G or 6G or whatever it ends up being? So that you have some control over my moods or my or my thinking process. Well, Is that- and, and they're not being transparent about what's in these things. Like we can't actually, I mean, they, they don't come out with the list. One of the things you and Andy Kaufman, Dr. Kaufman are mentioning in the film Um is that even the batch by batch may well be different, um, that they're not they, they're not being transparent about what's in them and what the ingredients lists are. So we really literally don't know. I mean, we just don't know. That's, an, a, again, a red flag. Like, why can't they be transparent about this stuff? We can't make any kind of cost-benefit analysis when we don't even know what they're injecting us with. Right. And then the person that's accepting the injection is somehow suspending their belief system to um, uh, fool themselves and lie themselves into they're doing it for the greater good or for their own safety. When would Mm -hmm. it ever be right to put something that you don't know what it is in your body? I mean, if you were standing out on a street corner with a glass of really dirty water would you know somebody's shaking it and said this is really good for you you should drink this would you let your kid you'd say well what's right. it what is yeah, it yeah <laughs> what is it I what know. is it you know oh it's got stuff in it that's good for you and if you do this it's going to boost your immune system yeah. well, what and, is and, it and if you don't do it it's you're hurting the community you're hurting yeah. everybody else so well, you, you really you're selfish if you don't do it yeah that's yeah. it's just It's a programming, it's social programming. And so that's where it starts to become really, really funky. Like, hmm, this couldn't possibly be good because they're not being transparent and honest and they're forcing it. Is that the way you raise a child? Right. Do you you raise a kid by not telling them stuff that they should know, lying to them, hiding things and then forcing them. And if they don't do it, you take away all of their liberties. I mean, is that the way you raise a child? I mean, no. So why would we move out into society thinking that those are sound ways to behave? They're just programs. They're propagandized programs that are are manipulating those that are allowing themselves to be manipulated. And it's like, okay, if you choose to be manipulated about this, first of all, you're building up some karma that I don't think I'd want to be building up. But secondly, you really are the lab rat running into the sticky trap. Mm -hmm. I mean, you may think you've got all your freedoms now, but you're taking away a lot of your potential to fully um, potentialize, if that's a word, you know, uh, to fully, uh, experience your human, uh, experience on this earth during this incarnation, you really want to give all that up because, you know, you get, you're basically allowing them to hack your DNA 
you know, people don't understand, oh, I got the Johnson and Johnson. It's not an mRNA. It doesn't matter. That hacks your DNA. So the other ones are RNA and then DNA. And then even if you get into that subject, that even in and of itself is not what we believe. It's like, you know, we touch on this in the film that DNA is not even what we think it is. It's like all of these medical paradigms are based on theories and all of these theories build upon each other. So you end up with just a big fat snowball mm-hmm. that just keeps rolling and getting more snow on it and getting bigger. Right. I, I think it was Dr. Cowan that was talking about, you know, going way back. I mean, it's the problem is the foundational theory of germ theory. And once you have taken that, then the whole rest of the system is like built on top of this thing. And it's just a house of cards because the original theory is is inaccurate. And you've got to always be open-minded. I mean, this kind of brings to mind this idea of of what scientism, I think uh, Kaufman brought this notion up as well, but about, you know, believing in the dogma of scientism instead of real science, which should be constantly questioning the, even these foundational theories. So it can be evolving in a good way instead of just like being some kind of religion where everyone's just following this dogma. Yeah, it's funny that people use those words, I believe in science. Science is not something you believe in. Right. It either is or it isn't. It's either two or it's four. You know, it's not, you know, you don't argue about whether that's two or that's four. You know, it, it's 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 either, uh, in other words, you don't, it's not something that, well, I believe that's a two. I believe that's a four. No, it's either it's a two or it's a four. You don't get to believe about it. And whatever you do believe about it is not going to change the truth of what it really is. So when people say, I believe in science, I right away think, oh, you've been fooled from the very get-go and you don't even know it. You're talking about a consensus-based religious scientism. You're talking about something that's a belief system. Mm-hmm. Science is not about beliefs. It's about you know, I mean, real science, from the way that I'm understanding it, is that they constantly question and challenge what they know in pursuit of a real truth. Whether they actually achieve that or not is another story entirely, because I think science doesn't know half of what's going on. I don't think any of us do. I think things we were talking about at the beginning, where there's just so much more I don't think our science is at that place where, because science is very much uh, based on the five senses, what they can see and feel and hear. I don't think they're just five senses. And I don't think that we operate exactly the way we think we do. So I wouldn't really even trust science, even if it was better science. You know, I I would always question it. I see it as a, a useful tool, but if you start thinking about it as like a pathway to some kind of universal truth, I mean, I really you know, that gets into this scientism perspective. It's like, look, I wish, I wish life was that simple where we could just, you know, do a controlled experiment, discover the, a universal truth and and know exactly the right choices to make in life. But unfortunately, yeah, exactly. life exactly. isn't that easy. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's why I was saying that after you go through all of these steps of understanding what a big farce this is, then you realize even the way you're looking at it is like, yeah. Why am I wasting my time? You know, it's like, it's probably the whole kit and caboodle is just the wrong way to go. I, you know, we really need to move into um, this, uh, th- th- this broader multidimensional scope of, 
um, realities we don't really understand that have to do with, you know, outside of the time space thing. You know, we really need to move more into this kind of stuff if we're going to get to the deeper meaning of what's right and where, who we are and why we're here. Right. Um, and this, this scientism thing is just never going to work. It's just, it's just a system set up to benefit some people, um, that are making a lot of money and want to control people. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's amazing too. Uh, we do have examples of other cultures that have systems of healthcare and, you know, systems of science that integrate this concept of energy, traditional Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, the indigenous philosophies um, that, you know, completely believe in multidimensional realities and interacting with the energies on this level. And it's just, um, it's so funny to me, in fact, that that like what the ideas that you're explaining, especially at the end, the, these ideas of frequency that start to grow out of once you eliminate or once you start to even just doubt the germ theory and the absolute materialism that backs that up and start to understand that, okay, there's this whole other like aspect of our own consciousness, our personal terrain, but our emotional terrain. And then this idea of frequency and energies that, that come into play. And then it's like, wow, guess what? All these other cultures were turned on to exactly that. It sounds exactly the same, you know, as, as what every other human being in the past used to believe. So yeah, I'm wondering maybe they were, were onto something, right? Yeah, I, I have a feeling that there, I mean, I don't have a feeling. I, I really know that there were other cultures that were far more um, in tune with this as just mm -hmm. a general way of being. I don't think the history we have been taught is at all true. <clears throat> and I don't think, you know, what they say about how we evolved and where we came from is true. I can't sit there and tell you what is, but I can tell you it's not that. Right. And, um, and so, you know, you hear about these ancient civilizations that, um, you know, operated at much higher level understanding of, um, you know, these senses that we don't acknowledge in our, you know, the more connected to the ether or whatever you want to call mm -hmm. it. And probably utilizing technologies that would have words like scalar energy or quantum or whatever, you know, right. the, having a, a, a bigger understanding. And I honestly think that the power structure that is at the, at the uh, bottom or top what do you want to say right of all of this i think that they understand that and um a lot more than they let on and um that's why people like tesla and and those types of raymond rife and people like that were basically yeah. you know knocked off course died penniless or disappeared and then they're information was more or less confiscated i i think that information is being utilized by the controlling power structure and then we're just fed our sort of what we think is really cool technology like iphones and stuff just to keep us yeah. our heads down and keep and us connected to their control you know mode I, I think people really think the medical technology is the same way like my god i mean you know so many people think that we're just at this pinnacle of, of healthcare because now we've got all of this technology. They don't really realize that the numbers, like you were saying, uh, I think it's the third largest cause of death in the country. And that doesn't include chemotherapy deaths. If you include that, then 
allopathic medicine becomes the number one cause of preventable death in the United States. Um, and then, but yet because of the technology, they have this perception that um, it must be more advanced or somehow more functional for us. And it's just not the case at all. And it's like you said, it's only been really like a hundred years. I mean, in the last hundred years, these people have been able to take control of the medical system and put down scientists that, that come from this other angle, this energetic angle like Tesla and Rife. And now we're not taught about those. It's almost amazing how easy it is that in such a short amount of time, you know, they can take control of the entire education system and the entire healthcare system to the point where we don't realize that this conversation that we're having, I mean, the germ terrain theory conversation, the the materialism versus the energetic holistic system. I mean, a hundred years ago, these were real questions that people were having real debates about. And then all of a sudden that door was just shut and everybody had to become materialistic and everybody had to follow this particular technological system. And uh, if you disagree, then, you know, you're just the fact checkers will bust you for disinformation, right? <laughs> Yeah, well, if you think about how these systems have come under the control of very few, you know, the, the top control structure, um, like education, for example, um, or the medical, you know, whole pharmaceutical, medical pharmaceutical, or the media, um, or agriculture, um, these have these huge uh, um, factions of society have come under the control of a very few small handful of people, the financial system. Um, I mean, I'm forgetting a lot of them, the prison system, sure. uh, the, you know, all of the NGOs. So you could just say the system. <laughs> yeah, the system, the matrix is under the control of a very, so if you get that kind of control and you use like the media as the arm to disseminate or education through the educational system, you've captured people that are being um, rewarded. I almost feel sometimes I, this is a kind of a controversial thing to say, um, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, Go for it. Uh, I think the educated are some of the most dangerous people on the planet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't mean that about everybody that has an education. I mean that generally speaking, doctors are indoctrinated and, the more you get rewarded with a degree or a prize or a good grade or whatever, mm -hmm. the more you become a very useful pawn in the game that is created. And there's all, there are only certain spots, slots for that those kind of people, the rest then become sort of the, the peasants, the, you know, the, the lower class society that's goes more paycheck to paycheck. It's an enslavement system basically. Yeah. And the educated have such an attitude about their knowledge and expertise that everybody else believes too. And they do it through programming, like just the white coats that doctors put on. There was some experiment I saw where some guy off the street was giving some advice to somebody about some health issue they were having and it, it they didn't pay any attention to that guy but then they went in and they put somebody with a white coat on who gave the exact same advice and suddenly it became very you right. know much tolerated and actually you know 
listened to and taken in as as some sort of a important uh, message there. And and so what I'm saying is. Um, you know, we've got these social programs, you know, if you have PhD after your name, or if you win a prize or, or whatever, um, you are treated differently by society and respected. And I don't think most of those people question. And I'm not saying not anybody, they're all, everybody's that way. I mean, I have an education. I don't think I'm that way, but you know, maybe I am, then I have to find yeah, sometimes I, you have to unlearn for sure. Yeah, and especially yeah. like yeah, you're saying, the indoctrination it, that yeah, happens, it, the grades, every, all of this stuff teaches you yeah. just to follow the authority, not to really critically think. No, it's not about critical thinking. Now, does that mean I'm against education? Absolutely not. I just think education should be revamped. Mm. It should be a very different model that it's really truly about understanding who you are and what gifts you come to the planet with and what your your calling is on this planet and how to get the information you need from the trusted resources that you can get it from. And you go looking for teachers. I'm not saying, you know, the whole thing is this way. I'm just saying that generally speaking, this matrix style media, matrix style finances, matrix style um, uh, education, I, I, you know, I don't see a lot of answers there. And the medical world is a complete example of that. I mean, mm -hmm. I avoid doctors like the plague. Um, I mean, if I got in a car accident, I would end up in a hospital and I'd be very grateful if they could sell me back together again. Um, but generally speaking, I don't consult doctors. I go to um, people that I feel through a sense of feeling are going to be helpful to me, you know, maybe an acupuncturist or a healer of some kind, uh, whatever, you know, I do, I do talk to doctors that are no longer doctors like Andy, you know, I'll ask him and he'll give me advice. And Tom used to be our family doctor, by the way. Nice. Yeah. You are listening to this. You are listening to the first free hour of the shift with Doug McKinty for access to the full feature length versions of the podcast. Go to www.theshiftnow.com and subscribe for the audio version for just $6 a month. Access the full-length episodes in video form through rockfin.com by subscribing at the Shift with Doug McKenty landing page. For $9.99 a month, you gain access not only to the Shift, but also all other premium content material hosted on the platform. Find out more at www.theshiftnow.com backslash store. Detoxify your body, decolonize your mind, make the shift well, let's uh let's take the opportunity to go full circle here and talk about terrain a little bit we probably should be thinking about wrapping it up okay um, it's getting i think it's getting a little it's getting close to almost two hours okay um so you know maybe yeah. another 10 minutes or whatever but um i don't want to keep you too long but um just to kind of wrap it up with this more holistic notion of and how terrain theory works because that's the thing about it is even though like as you go into in the movie, there's there's um, you can look at the science and you can see, well, they haven't really isolated the viruses and they haven't really proven the their causative agents for disease. And there's all of this other stuff going on. But just boots on the ground. My experience is that the doctors, the holistic doctors. And like I said, I've interviewed Tom Cowan before, Dr. Cowan and and uh, and Dr. Robert Young. 
And these guys really help people. Like it works. I mean, I, I want people to understand that when you go to one of these doctors, they don't just give you a pill that you have to take for the rest of your life. Like they find the reason why you're having the symptoms and then they help you either go through this detoxification process, or like you talked about the four different, they identify the toxins, they deal with the psycho-emotional stuff, um, they deal with the nutritional imbalances, and then you come out of it and you're healthy. You don't have to keep taking the pill. I mean, Dr. Young, it's just mind-blowing the statistics that he has on helping ca cancer patients. Like people think there's not a cure for cancer, except for all these people that are curing cancer. So why aren't we looking at them? And, uh, and, and actually realizing that like this stuff works, like it works really well, just like you're talking about, because it has this, this broader view about the environment and isn't so focused on eradicating, you know, let's kill all the beetles because the beetles are the problem. It's like, no, we've got to understand what's going on with the environment to figure out why this infestation is going on, why the forest is unhealthy. Right. Yeah. Um, I think that these doctors that are able to to look in those broader in, in from a broader perspective like that, yeah. um, they get their licenses taken away wow. and um, they are not they're promoted as as quacks or conspiracy doctors. And this is all part of the social programming. Right. And so people, you know, they want to go in and see the white coat. That's what they want to see. Um, and so they don't, yeah. um, they don't, uh, not enough people understand that. I think there are a lot of cures for cancer, to be honest with you. I think there are a lot and a lot, looks, a lot of looks that way, actually, from, yeah. Yeah, and from I, what I've I seen. I think depending, you could look at it from, from any cultural, even I think different cultures have different ways of curing cancers. Mm -hmm. um, cancers, I think, are misunderstood in the first place. I mean, cancers, the way Bear Lando explains it to me, um, are they're just the way of the body storing toxins off to the side to keep the, the flow of whatever, you know, the, the traffic right. freer. I'd, I'd love to it, talk to him, by the way. Way. I'm he's on my list because I have he's, I've, he's I've talked to yeah. uh, Robert Young, Dr. Young, a couple of times now, um, mm -hmm. and I've gotten his theories about it. It makes a lot of sense. The whole pH thing. I, I think they're probably quite similar because Dr. Young also does the the dark field microscopy, which I think Bear does as well. Um, Bear is a really interesting guy to talk to. He's his sort of focus would be more of waveform physics and cool. biotrained. Right stuff um he's uh he's an interesting kind of combination of um a real spiritual person and also a real intellectual person i i have great respect for him um and he's a sweetheart too on top of it yeah um i i think that the whole terrain theory bear will tell you it's not a theory at all uh he said this is the way he tre treated his uh patients, if you want to call them patients or clients or whatever you want to say, mm -hmm. um, he treated them by balancing their terrain. That was what he did. And he will hardly call that a theory. He had success with ALS and cancers and all kinds of neurological problems, wow. and, um, you know, terminal illness. And, and he a does, lot of time, sorry. Can, 
kinesiology is what is his yeah i mean that's one thing he also does chiropractic he does this whole he's he's got a wide range of modalities that he uses but Mm -hmm. to be honest with you i think he mostly uses the bear analogy uh, uh, modalities you know that are a combination of the things that he's learned and that he feels he operates from an intuitive place and uh, he's no longer a, a practicing physician but he was for years and you know had great great results um you know looking at the terrain as the indicator of what was wrong and he would use the the blood the live blood analysis to see what stage of pleomorphism the mm-hmm. the blood was in in order to help balance that so how is this a theory it's like it's only a theory because modern medicine has not quote studied it and the reason right. they haven't studied it is because they don't want to put dollars into studies behind something that's going to make people better. Yeah, they want to keep exactly. Customers, you know, they want to keep customers coming. You got to keep them sick. So oh, I, I wish people would just get that, like this whole germ theory modality, this whole paradigm that allopathy is based on is so finance driven and control driven. But I mean, certainly they don't want to heal you. They want to keep you sick. They want to keep you sick for long periods of time so that they can give you a medication that covers the symptoms. Uh, And then they want to have an excuse to give vaccines for everybody, even healthy people to everybody in the world, give their drugs to everybody, not just sick people. And it's just keeps the money machine driving for these guys, but it's not actually curing anyone of disease. No, I think people have to take the responsibility themselves to recognize that they have to take these things. They have to take their health, their finances, their education, all their food, all into their own hands. And it's looking like we're going to have to revamp a lot of systems. I mean, we need a whole new travel system. We don't, we, we have to be able to get on an airplane and not treat it like some sort of a walking vector. I mean, healthcare, education, you know, like manufacturing, farming. It's just like, we can't, well, I don't, I'm done with these guys now. Like if this is how they're going to treat us. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't think it's abusive. Yeah. And I don't really think it's an unrealistic goal because everybody has skills somewhere. So it's not like one person has to be starting all these businesses and good at everything, but and you've got the whole law thing too. I don't know if you've looked into any of that. You yeah. Know, that's some yeah. Pretty it's, interesting it, stuff. it's worth mentioning that there was a bit about that in your film as well, that you covered, you know, some of the legal angles and what people can do, you know, how to deal with it. If you're, if you're dealing with mandates at work and all of the rest of the stuff. So so you I did, just touched, you did dedicate some time. Just, yeah, we literally just touched on it. And that's the Alphonse. And you can even go into the more of the common law. I mean, that the, the mm-hmm. law thing is an animal. I can tell you it's an animal of yep, its own. Yep. And you can go off in many, many directions with that. Um, but, you know, <clears throat> what I'm basically, the, 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 the overall point is that um, all of these, these factions of society are operating under the same matrix construct that is meant to keep certain people in the control and they're behind the scenes and we don't know who necessarily they are. They put their, their 
people out there and those people get you to think it's about politics or it's about finance or it's about this. Those people are all looking for the top dollar or to win the vote. It's really not about any of that. That's what they all think and they all do the job. But behind that, there's a a control power structure that wants control over the human race. Mm -hmm. And that's what needs to be uncovered because it's so compartmentalized everywhere else that, you know, it, it would be fair to say that there's a big profit motive concern for pharmaceutical companies, but that's because the shareholders and the people that are in those positions of money-making, that's their goal. And it's not too hard to find out what their motives are, but who's behind that and for what? Because I mean, how much money do you need? You know, at some point it's got to move into something besides money. And I really do think it's about control. And then that starts taking you out down all kinds of other avenues as, as well, because then you start wondering who's controlling them. And you know, it starts to get to be a big thing, but you can't not go there because you just are so offended by the preposterousness of what it could possibly be. You've right. got to say, look, I'm going to just have to take this a step at a time. And, <laughs> you know, and here's where I am in my understanding and I have more questions or as long as I live a good life, I'm ready to go be creative and do my own thing. I mean, it's, it, you have to, you have to be able to acknowledge before you get to that. And if you just jump over the acknowledgement part, then nothing will change. And so I'm kind of feeling like, okay, so people who have ideas need to start putting them into action. And I feel like we really need more of a a networking consensus type thing where Uh people that are, say, looking for jobs that have been fired because they won't get the the jab. We need to have some kind of a really robust system for helping people find work. And then what's going to happen with the financial system? I mean, this is an area that I know so little about, and I I'm I'm the most bored with that topic, so I don't really look into it. Right. <laughs> um, but I don't know the whole crypto thing. I don't like the word crypto. I there's some something there I don't like. Um, maybe sure. there's good in there. Maybe I don't know. I just I don't really invest my time in that. Um, but I do. I would be the first one to tell you that the financial system is big part of this absolutely it's a big part of it um i just don't know and i don't i don't even know how the financial system works in the first place so i mean who am i to go in right analyzing the what, what do you think you have a you have an idea for a topic for your next movie or are you still just i guess you're so busy probably getting getting this one well released i now. haven't finished part two is almost done you saw the yeah. left and you yeah. see what still needs to get done um and i only have a few more days to do it so it's almost there um right um Andy and I are talking about doing episodes of terrain. So oh, cool. we would do possibly, I mean, we, neither one of us are, have really solidified anything. Um, um, I have ideas, he has ideas and we throw them around. Um, I'm really interested in um, looking at some of the personal courageous lives of some of the people that are out on the front. Like I really like John Rappaport and sure. uh, I would love to interview John and Andy and uh, do a kind of interesting um, thing. Um, but, you know, there are all kinds of, we've talked about sound frequencies, uh, getting into the whole cymatics and all of that kind of stuff. We've talked about mind control, um, the ways that the public is manipulated. I mean, there are a lot of topics that we could get into. Sure. 
Uh, but at this point, nothing is solidified uh, because we're just on this this time crunch to get terrain out. And then the, the word terrain is so free to really look at just about anything under the sun because everything <laughs> comes under that topic. You know, sure. it's not just about, it's not really terrain theory. We didn't name it terrain theory. We just named it terrain, which yeah. is like exploring the inner terrain, the outer terrain, the inner landscape, the outer landscape and anything in everything about it is it gives us quite you know uh, the world is our oyster so if we can reboot and get ourselves um you know situated uh with you know um replenishment and everything from having gone to, i mean this has been a big endeavor making this this film and during this time period and it's been particularly hard for me personally because it's caused a lot of conflict in my family mm. um so um, I've had to do, deal with a lot of emotional stuff. Um, and and so um, if we can get to a point where we can sort of rest up for a little bit, you know, a couple months maybe, and um, and then start talking, I have a feeling we'll be doing more episodes. Um, cool. The one thing is, will we be able to travel uh, to do them? Andy will not get on a plane, and I don't blame him. Um, uh, you know, I will get on a plane, but... Um, not unless I have to, um, it's a very unpleasant experience at the airport. I can tell you. Um, sure. so I have a feeling we will, we will probably go forward with different episodes and they'll probably be about an hour each instead of, you know, making a big long two hour film. We'll just break it up into compartments and take a look at different things. Sounds good. Yeah. Well, uh, do you want to let people know where they can find the movie and what's coming out when in February 4th? Is that right? Next is yeah. it next week? Yeah, next week will be part one is released on February 4th. You can go on the website terrainthefilm.com and you can sign up for a free viewing of part one and part two, which comes out, I think, a week later. The dates are on there. I think it might be the 4th and the 12th or something like that. Okay. My, my dates not, might not be right. So I would say go onto the website. Um and uh, if you want to watch it for free, you can go ahead and sign up and it'll be available for free. And then after that time period, you could purchase the whole film, which would include extras um, that are like, you know, interviews and things like that. So um, I would say just go there and, and see what works for any particular person, what they want to do. And um we hope that people will will talk a lot about this because the 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 point really is to um, get people off the stork delivered the baby story. We've really got to get off that. It's yeah. just, it's not working. Right. And, uh, the more we continue, I mean, in the film we do go into some of the narrative the narratives that have sprung from that, like antibody dependent enhancement and variation uh, 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 variants. You can't have a variant if you don't have an original. Um, you know, these these are stories that get invented based on a belief system that is fiction. So we're trying to say, look, let's get off of this so we can move on to the stuff that's really going to benefit us and move into a higher minded way of thinking. And um, so that's where we're where we're going. Sounds awesome, Marzi. I uh, really appreciate you coming on the show. It was really nice to talk to you again. It's and I think, to to you, yeah, and I think you uh, really hit it out of the park with this one, actually. I mean, this is, um, 
this is a topic that clearly a lot of people are talking about and, uh, you know, to, to kind of get out here with uh, this documentary that really goes in depth in about this concept of, of germ theory and terrain theory uh, and describes the terrain theory. It actually answered, you, you answered some of the questions, for example, that I had about gain of function research and like, how do they do that if viruses don't exist? And so you hit it from a lot of different angles. Um, and so I recommend it to all my listeners Certainly, um, you're going to learn something from this film, whether you really have never heard anything about terrain theory before or whether you've really even been following. I mean, I've been following uh, Dr. Kaufman for a couple of years now, and, and I've interviewed a number of these people. And I've really thought a lot about this whole concept, but I thought that the movie, not only did I learn extra information from it, but I also thought you really touched on the most salient points you know, that, that people really need to understand uh, if they're going to be if they're going to be able to question the germ theory and start making healthcare choices that maybe are based more in uh, in reality than they may realize and in a different paradigm that might be more real than they realize. Right. Yeah. I think anybody that has the um, desire to sit down and watch, uh, you know, you got to put your thinking cap on for this kind of film. And it's probably better to watch it more than once because I can tell you that this information for, I call them the virgins, <laughs> is not yeah. easy, you know, and I was one too. And right. it took me two years. <laughs> so I have compassion for people who are sitting down to this information for the first time. But I would say if you're ready to sit down and watch it, then you're ready to start planting the seeds of understanding. And mm -hmm. at some point it will become a, a place of knowingness, but it's going to take a little bit of work. And um, in the end, it's that like that famous saying that used to be all over college posters that we used to hang on our walls in college. The truth will set you free with like all some right. sailboat, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. The truth will set you free. I mean, it's it's really true. So I would a rougher ride than you think, but <laughs> yeah. And actually, if you if you can stand back a little bit, um, because you you've got other people who've sort of paved the way and held a little bit of the pain of it, and you have a little bit more of a comfortable approach, you can stand back a little bit and find it just very interesting, you know, and not be so personally offended by it. Yeah. I mean, I think so many people are so fatigued right now from this whole COVID. Uh crap that they you know they may be ready to just say look i don't want to do this anymore go ahead give it to me and they may be not so offended that they have to rethink oh man did they like really land on the moon you know they <laughs> right. thinking you know and it's like well you better look into that you know um and you start to you start to see that we just have to find out for ourselves what's true absolutely all right, cool, Marcy, and terrainthefilm.com is the place to go. Uh, I'll just let people know you've been listening to The Shift. I'm your host, Doug McKinty, and you can find uh, all the episodes of The Shift and the roundtable discussions and the Psychology of Lockdown series and uh, um, all of my other stuff up at www.theshiftnow.com. If you want to stay in touch, I'm actually my Facebook page, Doug McKinty is probably the easiest way um also on twitter at d mckinty and you can find my stuff on youtube right now i'm i'm really going with odyssey more i'm up on rockfin which is actually a great uh, venue so if you haven't checked it out you can go to rockfin.com and look up the ship with doug mckinty there um 
And uh, I will be back next week. My guest next week is going to be, I believe it's Dwayne Hayes. And uh, we're going to be talking about the history of propaganda and progressivism a, a little bit. So hopefully you'll enjoy that one as well. So thanks everybody for listening. And thank you so much, Marcy, for coming on the show again. Just oh, love talking you, to you again. Doug. Glad we had this excuse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's great to talk to you, Doug. Thank you so much. Yeah, take care. Okay, bye-bye. All right, ladies and gentlemen, there you go. My conversation with uh, movie producer Marcy Cravat. Uh, she and I uh, actually worked together a little bit on the roundtable discussion show that you can find on the shiftnow.com. Uh, and uh, so we've known each other for a bit. I think she was episode 40, 39 or 40, actually. I interviewed her. Uh, a few years back concerning some of her previous films. So I was real excited when I saw that she had gotten together with Dr. Andrew Kaufman and had made this film Terrain. I think it was right down her alley. She's been going through her own process of figuring out uh, a lot of this alternative information over the last couple of years, and this was the perfect project for her to really uh, get her feet wet and dive into this whole uh, viral versus uh, terrain theory, the germ theory versus the terrain theory concept. Um, and I was happy to talk to her because I've done a lot of uh, interviews on this subject. Uh, I had uh, actually, um, as a part of the roundtable discussions, talked with Dr. Kaufman and Dr. Judy Mikovits together, and I wish I knew then what I knew now because I would have asked a lot more poignant questions about the, their difference of opinion. It gets so complicated. I, I did an interview with Dr. Mikovits and Dr. Uh, Stephanie Seneff, I believe episode 59, where we had a conversation about this. I think Kaufman and Mikovits are actually pretty closely aligned. Dr. Mikovits told me that... Uh, she was a terrain theorist, um, and they actually discussed, I'll get into this, but this frequency theory of contagion uh, that was mentioned in the movie Terrain as well, uh, which I thought was just fascinating to hear these two really intelligent ladies discussing that, and it seems like that notion is, is picking up more and more traction, that the DNA is, uh, is a kind of a transmitter and that our bodies really uh, transmit these frequencies wirelessly. Uh, we transmit information from one another, and this could be how uh, different proteins show up in different people's bodies, different systems, uh, or triggers, depending on your point of view, triggers a, a detox effect um, in each other. So it kind of explains uh, why you know people do tend to get sick around each other at the same time. Um, but to make a long story short, um, Dr. Mikovits uh, and Dr. Kaufman, Mikovits still believes that viruses do exist and have some uh, interaction in terms of the disease process. So yeah, my personal experience with this whole thing uh, over the course of uh, a year and a half ago up until now with the multiple interviews I've done. I've, I have interviewed Dr. Tom Cowan on uh, the contagion issue uh, and Dr. Robert Young I've spoken to a couple of times who is an avowed terrain theorist, uses it in his work and uh, seems to have real, real success curing uh, patients with cancer. I can't speak for him, but um, you know, I have seen uh, firsthand testimonies from people that he's dealt with, and he's got a, a solid protocol that really seems to be helping a lot of people out. So um, this angle is, uh, I guess that's what's the funny thing is for me at the end of the day, I think that the terrain theorists actually just do a better job of treatment. They, it just, they help people and people get well. 
uh, whereas the germ theory lends itself to all of these prophylactics that you have to take over and over again. They reduce the symptoms. Or, like in the case of these real powerful antivirals, uh, they're trying to kill the virus so badly they'll kill off half the patient first. So it's a real dance in allopathy, and, uh, and so I prefer the terrain theory. I think it's kinder on the body, and I think ultimately when you boost your immune system, make yourself healthy, uh, then you're you're way more capable of handling these diseases, no matter whether they're caused by a germ or not, right? <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, it's just a practical choice almost for me. Um, but uh, I was happy to revisit this whole question uh, with Marcy because uh, it does have so much to do with how we think about health and certainly uh, what's been going on for the last couple of years in terms of the COVID mandates and lockdowns and masks and, and the vaccine question. I mean, this whole terrain theory thing really turns it on its head. And, and they address all of this in the movie. And so that's why I actually did, because I do know quite a bit about this. Uh, in this movie, the terrain theorists really do make their argument, make it pretty pretty concisely and pretty clearly. Uh, and so whichever side of the fence you sit on, I think you're going to have an interesting time. You're going you're gonna to see why Dr. Kaufman says they haven't isolated the viruses, that uh, in fact uh, a lot of them, they lean on computer modeling and they're putting uh, different sequences together and then presuming that they found, say, the DNA sequence uh, for the virus, which then they use for these PCR tests, etc. It goes into great detail in this in the movie. And one of my, one of my questions that I had always had was, well, look, I mean, if viruses don't exist, then what are these guys working on when they're doing these gain-of-function experiments or when they're, you know, playing around with uh, all of this genetic m manipulation that we know goes on? And Kaufman actually gives a, a pretty good explanation uh, for that question as well in the movie. Uh, and so I was happy to see a lot of my personal questions pr pretty much addressed. Um, and then, of course, uh, you can... Watch the show and make a decision for yourself. But um, uh, again, just the movie was really well laid out and it did cover all the bases. And then I was pleasantly surprised at the ending, where they did talk about this idea of resonance. This is the this is the idea that I'm just getting more and more attracted to. I mean, at the end of the day. It's almost like which comes first, the chicken or the egg. I'm sure Dr. Kaufman will disagree with me on this, but you know, it does the it does seem to be an instance of maybe a lot of these quote unquote exosomes are showing up, or these that they perceive as viruses uh, are showing up because cells are getting destroyed. They're breaking apart, and what you're act they're actually seeing is this kind of detritus, these cell fragments that have DNA fragments uh, that are looking like maybe viruses, or uh, maybe they are these exosomes that don't come from outside the body to inside the body. There was uh, a pretty convincing to me, actually, when I was doing my research uh, previous to this, is basically that Dr. Stephen Lanka, who's also in the film, by the way, uh, he discovers the virome in plants in the 80s. They discover it in human beings there are billions and billions of these things, whether they're viruses or exosomes or cause disease or don't cause disease. Uh, and this has, I mean, people need to realize that those of you who think that the the uh, terrain theory must just be for nut jobs, uh, I think you've got to really understand that science, much like uh, 20, 30 years back when they discovered the, the microbiome, the bacteria that's in the body, 
Now they're finding that we have these uh, billions of viruses slash exosomes inside of our body too, and they're doing some function. So when you look at modern science and modern virology, you can find all the studies. They're trying to figure out what the heck this thing does. Uh, clearly, it doesn't cause disease. You know, clearly, actually, at this point, the one germ gets into your body and then all of a sudden starts replicating and spreading. That's not how it works. I mean, and that's just the thing. This this film looks at the current scientific construct about how we get disease, and it really says, you know. We now know that it, it's not—it's not the old school germ theory. It's not what Louis Pasteur thought 150 years ago. Even if you're an avowed germ theorist, you've got to understand that there's a lot of different things going on uh, than just the "oh, I breathed in uh, a virus and now I have a cold." There's a whole lot of other stuff going on. There's a whole bunch of these particles inside of our body, and they're doing something. And modern science is trying to figure it out. So it's so. It's more of an open question than most people give it credit for. So, uh, again, I give Marcy a lot of credit for uh, getting together with Dr. Kaufman and really putting this film together because it lays it all out from the terrain theorist point of view. So uh, I think people on both sides of this issue are going to enjoy the film. I hope you check it out. I think that uh, if you are a non-believer in the in the terrain theory if you're sticking hard to your guns about the germ theory I think this uh, this film is bound to raise at least a few questions for you uh, and that's what uh, good documentaries do so uh, I urge everybody to check it out uh, the film is terrain it is at www.terrainthefilm.com you can check it out there it's coming out uh, just in the next couple days I think February 4th it'll be uh, available online and so, uh, clearly, it'll be rolling out pretty hard for the next couple weeks and, and the next couple of months. And hopefully, they'll get a lot of people to watch it. I, I think it's uh, well worth your time. So, thanks for checking it out. Once again, uh, terrainthefilm.com. And I'll just let you know that you've been listening to The Shift. I'm your host, Doug McKinty. You can find my stuff at www.theshiftnow.com. Uh, I've got hours of free content on there. For six bucks a month, you can get the full feature-length versions of these episodes, uh, and I would appreciate all the support I can get. I gotta eat. So, um, and I also wanted to let everybody know that I've started a new blog. It's called The Populous Papers on Substack, thepopulouspapers.substack.com. Uh, and I'm going to be starting to dive into a lot of my own stuff. I really, uh, I just have a lot of feelings about what's going on right now. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I have a lot of my own particular views that I don't often get a chance to promote when I'm interviewing other people. So I'm looking forward to getting my thoughts down on paper, getting them out to you, uh, and just describing my own particular, I think, relatively unique perspective on uh, what we're going through during this time uh, of pol political philosophy that I think... Um, can be helpful for people to understand. And I get a lot into ideas about mythologies and archetypes and what is patriarchy? What is a patriarchal system? What does it mean to be colonized? What is the colonized mind? Um, and so I get into politics and mythology a lot like in the Psychology of Lockdown series. So uh, you'll be getting a lot of that from me. I think I'll be doing a, 
an essay on scientism and patriarchy here pretty soon, <laughs> and being able to kind of discuss some of my own also unique libertarian thinking about economics, um, where I actually see a free market as being uh, something that can be done symbiotically. These controlled cartels, of course, are the root of colonialism, um, but a truly free society, I think, would be uh, working symbiotically within the state of nature, with nature, um, and actually, you know, can provide at least a, a potential path forward uh, for people who have ideas about how are we going to get through this. I mean, things have gotten so crazy the last couple of years. It just seemed like a good time to start writing. So the Populist Papers on Substack, check it out. TheShiftNow.com for all of my other work. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Next week, it's going to be my friend Dwayne Hayes. He just started... Uh, a documentary series called The History of Propaganda. He's really getting into that early 20th century history when the Council on Foreign Relations got started uh, and when people like Edward Bernays were really coming up from the ranks that World War I period uh, when we see uh, basically the 20th century starting to come together and turn into uh, the controlling system that it <laughs> turned into for that century. Now we're worried about technocracy. Um, but he gets into the history of progressivism and fascism and their connections to, to the technocratic movement of today. So stay tuned for that one. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and I'll see you again next week. Take care.